Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. On today's episode, we speak with Jack Seuss, who is Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Jack and podcast host Amrita Lawalia discuss how micro-credentials can help change how people think about the value of higher education and the need for tech leaders to think about what it will take to support micro-credentials at scale. Jack Seuss, welcome to the uh, Illumination podcast. It's great to be chatting with you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Now, we're we're live in Washington, D.C. We're at the UPSIA Acro Micro-Credentialing Conference uh, called Convergence. And I'm curious, what sparked your interest in micro-credentialing? So I got involved in micro-credentialing when I was chairing the board of IMS Global mm-hmm. um, back in 2015. Uh, the Mozilla Foundation um, came to IMS Global and asked if we would be interested in taking on the work that they had done with badging, where they had sort of the backpack and other sorts of beginning work that was there. Um, IMS Global, for those that don't know, um, is now called One Ed Tech, and it develops standards in the higher ed space, higher ed and K through 12 space uh, that actually function internationally, and so. Uh, one of the things that we did is we decided to take this project on is is begin to look at the potential for micro-credentials to really make a difference. And that's when my interest really got sparked as mm-hmm. I began to sort of take a deeper dive into what the possibilities were. It became apparent to me that these could be a um, sea change for higher ed in yeah. how we think about using them and how we think about telling the story of the value proposition of higher education. Absolutely. I mean, we're getting towards the, a point where, you know, we recognize education is not a binary, but we were constricted to the systems that really we were, we had the, the capacity to access. And now that we have more flexibility, we can start to tell a more flexible learning journey story. Oh, um, most definitely. Um, one of the things I ended up doing for Educause uh, this happened during the pandemic, and I may share with you the, the URL. Please it's, do. It's a three-minute video that I did as part of a Shark Tank presentation, um, but it talked about the, the value proposition of this idea of a comprehensive learner record over what we now give students, which is the transcript. Mm-hmm. And you know, going back and getting ready for that and researching the whole history of the transcript was truly fascinating. You know, most people don't realize that the transcript actually evolved in 1910 to 1912. And it was really around the time where um, doctorate education was changing, where you're getting a PhD. So in mm-hmm. the past, up before the early 1900s, most students, if you got a doctorate, you got it at the same institution that you did your baccalaureate with. You just stayed on longer. Right. Um, once we began creating research universities, you had this movement of students. And so the registrars and universities realized they needed something to explain what students had taken huh. at many at institutions prior as they were coming in um, to be able to judge the students. Because often, actually, until the mid to late 1800s, we really didn't have grades right. at most institutions. Yeah, was, you, yeah. you were just passing and moving on. based yeah, frankly. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it was just really interesting. But what it highlighted to me is that 
we're still using this artifact of something that was designed for one thing, sort of mm -hmm. the progression from bachelor's to graduate school, and it was going registrar to registrar or department to department. It was never designed for employers. Right. It was never designed for the individual mm -hmm. who it's all about. And so being able to be thinking about how something like a comprehensive learner record could be transformative, that really excites me. Absolutely. So you come from a, a relatively unique role in the context of this conference where it's largely leaders of continuing education divisions, leaders of online education divisions and, and registrars as, as a CIO. And I'm curious as to the role that you feel the CIO should be playing when it comes to identifying and scaling innovative approaches to credentialing. Well, at this point in time, that's all that's possible is to be thinking about innovative ways to truly scaling micro-credentialing. Mm -hmm. um, the vision long-term is going to be, and I think this vision will manifest itself probably at the end of this decade, which is that the SIS will be, this SIS stands for Student Information System for those, um, will be augmented to now have the ability to be tracking learning outcomes, but in addition to learning outcomes, additional credentials and things like that that were earned as part of um, the activities that were undertaken. However, today, if you're gonna be designing something that you might wanna do um, micro-credentialing at scale across a whole university, you really need technology leaders to be thinking about a set of products that are going to wrap around the student information system, your data warehouse, other tools uh, that are going to be able to support doing what you need to be able to do to move to scale because it's just not something where you can go off and easily buy one product and it's going to do everything that you need to be able to move into this space. And so that's the challenge right now, but I think that's an interesting challenge for IT leaders um, to be taking on because this is a uh, revolutionary technology in a way, mm -hmm. and I think it's going to uh, move much faster than many of us think. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that yeah. later. Well, I think that it's a fair point because to a certain extent, and this is something that comes up, I think it's been on the last at least five top 10 IT issues that Educause has published. The uh, the CIO so frequently is left out of strategic conversations. It's, it's frequent that the CIO sits in almost, is, is left in a role that's maybe more operational. So Educause has, has identified having a seat at the table as, as a key priority for CIOs. I'm curious why that tends to be the case, why CIOs are, are often left out of those strategic conversations and, and what it's going to take to bridge that perception gap around how the CIO can really start to drive transformation at the institution itself. Well, I, I think that there are, there are many CIOs who, are, who do have a seat at the table. And I think that you know, as we look at this issue, um, Part of the issue of, of wanting to have a seat at the table, I don't look at myself solely as an IT leader. Mm -hmm. I look at myself as a higher education professional. And so I want to be understanding what's going on in higher ed from and, and be able to converse 
appropriately with my vice president of research, my vice president of advancement, my vice president of student affairs, my provost, um, my deans. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's incumbent upon the CIOs of the world to be learning more about how universities functions, about what the priorities are. Go out to lunch with uh, people and just you know, talk about what are you working on, what's happening, you know, where I think IT leaders can begin to bring a lot to the table is we have good understandings of what technologies are already available to us, what skills we have in the enterprise, how we can begin to do pilots, scale things. These are all skills that most CIOs have a, have a good understanding of. And so I would encourage um, a lot of the leaders who may not be IT leaders to also be reaching out to their technology yeah. leader and, and asking the question, how might we do this? What, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking at this and this is something that we think would have tremendous value for our organization. How could we partner? How could we begin to be thinking about ways that we could be moving this forward, learn from it, and be ready to take something that maybe was a pilot that we've done in our continuing or professional education area, but be able to now be thinking about how we might scale that more broadly um, across the organization. And, and these pilots, I think, um, are really important mm -hmm. because, as I said, there's not a just go by X right. and you've solved the solution, you've solved the problem. It's a it's a more complex. Um, issue than just technology. There's a whole set of process things yeah. that we have to develop. Um, and then there's skill building that we have to do inside of our own organizations to be ready for this. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting you raised that. At Educause, Josh Callahan uh, was part of a panel where he talked about the, the technological jungle and how at so many institutions over the past, certainly over the past few years, there's been a proliferation of, of systems that kind of flew under the procurement radar that were implemented in, as point solutions by multiple departments. And now the question for CIOs is how do we start to consolidate and how do we start to choose the, the right option and how do we start to create economies of scale within the institution? And I, I think it, it's fascinating against the backdrop that, that you just mentioned of folks need to be open to coming to the CIO to talk to them about this is the thing I'm trying to accomplish. No, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting point and one where the last four or five months we've spent, um, because we're implementing a privacy law that will go into effect October 1st of 2024, we have to know all the different systems that our data is going yeah. to. And so we've spent the last four or five months working with um, data in our procurement system, talking to our chief security officer, talking to my head of data integration, all people who might not be talking to one another. They're, they're all in IT. Oh. Um, the procurement is in a different you know, administrative area. but really understanding what we've been buying. And what I think one of the opportunities for institutions is really beginning to look at the value proposition of all these systems that we have and really looking at where we can extract more value out of these systems. So many of these systems, as we're starting to take a look at them, we're using a quarter or a third of the system. Um, 
what might we also be able to do that right. could add value or where is it redundant? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're spending money on our one side, but we could actually be getting it for free if we would just leverage the functionality over here right. that someone else is paying. And so I think these are all conversations that we're going to have to be having over the next few years because the cost of these SaaS systems is jumping on a annualized rate of something like five to seven percent. Oh, wow. So as you look at this, um, it's going it's it's been a great innovation engine the last decade. But I think many departments and many organizations are going to find that um, they're going to have to be selectively pruning in order to be able to afford what they want to keep that's really going to add value. That makes a lot of sense. So I, I mean that it flows actually beautifully into the next question though because I when when push comes to shove you know what are the key technological considerations that that leaders should bear in mind especially against the backdrop of what we're talking about here when it comes to launching and scaling a digital credentials in in, in infrastructure well I, I would actually say that the first conversations um, have to begin to be um, really having conversations with academic leaders around what are some of the value propositions that may be there for micro-credentialing. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll tell you a sort of a story that brought me into this. And, and so I got involved in a lot of our student success efforts at UMBC. I've been at UMBC for a very long time. Um, this is my 42nd year um, so just, that I've been just there. Just a bit. Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and so back in 2004, um, I was um, CIO, and at that point, we were beginning to really start um, some deliberate work around retention, mm -hmm. um, activity, student success, that whole sort of portfolio. And you know, one of the things that we began talking about at some of our retreats is um, the person who became our first dean of undergraduate academic affairs and was leading a lot of these efforts said, you know, how can we validate that all students are getting the kind of experience that we want to call our UMBC experience and the ones that we know we're giving to our most successful students? Right. And what was really interesting in that conversation is, is we really didn't have a good way to tell. Because you know what was key around a lot of that conversation is, is the experience that our very best students were getting had so much co-curricular, hmm. so much experiential learning. They were doing undergraduate research. They were working in labs. They were having other kinds of, of activities that were adding on to this academic undertaking that we were providing, which we could look at a transcript and see the academic, but we couldn't see all of the co-curricular, all of the experiential learning, all of the internships, um, to really be understanding what they were doing, but not, but also who wasn't right. getting those experiences. And so one of the first projects that we ended up doing um, a few years later in 2013, 2014, as we were sort of manifesting these things, and that was noodling in my head for a while, was working with student affairs to be tracking um, clubs, organizations, all these sort of groups. Because at that time, the leader of our, our vice president of student affairs, she said, um, it's great that I can see who's in the most organization, right. you know, got the most, 
But what I really want to know is who's not in any. Yes. And because I want to have the RA or someone reach out to that person and pull them into a club or organization. Because I know if a student gets engaged, they're going to end up um, yeah. staying. They're going to be retained. Yeah. Um, and it makes a difference. And so um, that is one of the things where I think understanding this, what's the reason for why you want to begin to be getting into micro-credentialing mm -hmm. um, is really a key element. For us, it was, a, it was really around beginning to think about this north star of the comprehensive learner record, which is going to be how can we be showcasing both the co-curricular and the academic, yes. um, you know, into one document. And it's not just about having a student be able to have this litany of things that they've accomplished. It's also about giving students an understanding of how they can talk about their experience. Um, students don't often really put these together until they reflect and yeah. sort of look at what you've produced. Oh, yeah, I did do that. Oh, yeah. yeah, this did add on to what I learned in the classroom. And for us, that's been really key. And so what I'd first say to my colleagues is, is don't get into how do you do the um, the move bits and how do you set everything up technologically, but understand first what you want to do. And if your institution is anything like UMBC, where you want to be talking about the experience, I think the first thing I would do is go out and spend some time, talk with your registrar, learn more about the comprehensive learner record. Because to me, that's one of those key North Stars that we should all be thinking about. Once you've begun to have that conversation, you can now begin then thinking about, well, what might be some of the technological solutions? The good news is, is that, and we're seeing it today here at this conference, is that there's a lot of new vendors that are coming in to be filling the gaps that are in place today. Mm -hmm. When we started this in 2017, 2018, um, being one of the ACRO pilots on the Comprehensive Learner Record, um, there were so many places that it just didn't have any vendor in the space ready to be filling this. And you right. had to almost be encouraging vendors to come into the space. Today, we've got a litany of vendors that can be um, out there that you can begin talking with and understanding how this can be part of their portfolio. The second thing I'd say to all CIOs is um, you really need to be advocating to your vendors, especially the vendor that you get your SIS from, that you're interested in this idea of yes. micro-credentialing, the comprehensive learner record. We need to be putting our collective voice around the fact that this community needs these tools and that these tools have to be available sooner rather than later. Um, one of my concerns is that you, know, you often hear a complaint, well, how will employers deal with yeah. this, et cetera. That problem is getting solved. We don't see it because it's happening outside of what we often look at. But One Ed Tech has been doing a fabulous job of working with a lot of the uh, human resource providers, a lot of the people in the workforce learning space. They see the power of micro-credentials to be tracking learning over time um, as something. And, and so they're moving fast to start implementing systems. 
And my fear is, is that um, within two, three years, um, we'll have people who are hiring our students expecting to be getting yeah. micro-credentials showing what they have documented, their skills and learning outcomes and those sorts of things. And all of us will be scrambling at that point to be figuring out, well, how do we even get started? Because we're not advocating for our to our SIS vendors that they need to be thinking about how they're going to solve this problem for us. Absolutely. Well, Jack, I mean, that pretty much does it on my end. And, and at this phase, I, I'm so sorry to tell you, this is where we pivot to the part you didn't want to do, <laughs> <laughs> which is... Uh, to, to become a food podcast for a few minutes. So if someone's out to dinner in Baltimore, where do they need to go for dinner? So I am going to preface this by the fact that um, I have not been out to dinner in Baltimore in the last five or six years. And part of the reason was that um, for some different reasons, um, we have a limited diet as to what we can be eating. And so, um, but I asked my um, executive assistant, who does go out um, on a regular basis and, and understands um, you know, what's active in Baltimore. And so one recommendation that I got, and it's in a place, a, a part of town that I just love because it's so quintessential Baltimore. Um, the restaurant is called The Food Market, and it's in a place called Hamden. And Hamden, if you're a John Waters fan, um, it was part of where Pink Flamingos was filmed. Oh, wow. um, it's this quintessential weirdness of Baltimore that um, it's where the Hun, you know, uh, sort of is is sort of celebrated. And yeah. so um, the food market, though, is one of these restaurants that celebrates being slightly weird with incredible food. Awesome. So that's one recommendation that I would make. I would also say that... Um, along the um, Harbor East location um, has become a real foodie hot spot. Um, it is a relatively new development in the last 10 years that's adjacent to, it sits between Baltimore's Inner Harbor and Fells Point, and it has a number of fabulous restaurants, um, many of them with uh, views of the water. There you go. Jack Seuss, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and The Evolution. The Modern Campus engagement platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result, innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner life cycle that engages modern learners for life while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.